We're in a sermon series going through some of the Proverbs, and we're going to jump back into that after Christmas. But for a couple of weeks, we were going to do kind of Advent, looking at what Christmas is, uh, maybe how we could apply some of those truths to us culminating with Friday night, the joint service down. If you know where Costco is, we're less than a mile from the Costco down there at Hawks Prairie. It's about a 10-minute drive. I want to make sure you guys know we would love to have you there Christmas Eve, 6 p.m. Uh, the address is in the back on that sheet of paper, but also uh, on online at the other campus, the Lacey campus. Um, and it's just going to be so much fun celebrating today, next week, and then Friday night, uh, you know, the, the arrival of Jesus Christ, the plan uh, the salvation plan that God put in forth, uh, or put forth in even back to the garden, uh, before the foundations of the world, to be honest, um, to, to know that Jesus Christ was that plan and that he came for you and for I. And so, uh, we would love to have you there. And then after Christmas, we'll jump back into the Proverbs series. We'll be back up here, not that Sunday, not the 26th. We're going to go down there one more week. So that weekend, I want to invite you down on the 24th on Friday, the 26th. 6th on Sunday, we will not be meeting here. We're just going to meet down there. That way, Pastor Kevin, the pastor down there, can get some vacation. Uh, he really has kind of overlooked that this year. Uh, and so, Pastor Dave and I said, nope, we're going to make you go on vacation uh, and ga- gave him that that last little bit of time off of the year. So I'll be preaching down there that weekend, uh, or Dave will, one of us, and uh, on, on back into Proverbs. So again, just want to kind of let you know that's where we're heading these next couple weeks. But I am so glad that you're here. Can you guys believe it's December 12th already? Okay, there were some woos that sounded like, yeah, we're here and we love being here. And then there are probably some of you that are like, I can't believe it's the 12th, right? I mean, it doesn't feel like Christmas yet or it feels like Christmas, but I'm way behind. Whatever that means to you, every family, it means something a little bit different. Um, but man, wherever you're at in the season, if you are like ready for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day right now, Praise God for those people, right? It's not necessarily me, but I praise God for you guys. For some of us who've got a little bit more to do, uh, so that this, you know, thing we've built up in our minds, however we celebrate Christmas with our family, whether it's through food and, and gifts and time together, and then of course exalting and elevating Jesus Christ as Savior. If we feel a little bit behind on that, don't worry, you're not alone, and we're going to make it there, right? Christmas Eve will come on the 24th, no matter where we're at. So I just want to take a moment to pause from our hectic week and, and just look at, um, start looking at the Christmas story. And, and as Kevin and I were talking this week, as we were strategizing what we want to do over these next couple weeks, we really thought, you know what, how about looking, how about let's look at our lives and look at some stories from scripture uh, about the idea of Jesus Christ being king and coming to this earth and that we should be a people who are ready to bow to our king. Right, And what does that look like? And so um, Jesus Christ is the reason for this amazing season. And, and we want to learn how to be a people who are ready to bow for our king. So we're going we're gonna to focus in on two stories that happen after Jesus' birth. So we'll talk about the birth on Christmas Eve. But we're going to look this week and next week at a couple of stories that happen right after the birth. And see what these responses were. Right, we're going to look at King Herod's response today in Matthew 2 to the birth of a king. 
How is a king going to respond to another king being born? Next week, we're going to look at the response of Simeon and Anna to the birth of the king. And I think we're going to see two completely opposite responses to the same information, the same story, the same moment in time. And and we'll see that these responses couldn't be more different. So let's accept the call this morning and bow to the king as we see the less appropriate response of King Herod to the birth of Jesus. We're going to start here in Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. So we see kind of the timetable being laid out here by Matthew as he was writing, right? We're going to unpack this story a little bit. We see the wise men, all of us, if you've been around church at all, even if this is your first time back since you were a kid, you probably remember the wise men showing up at the nativity set, right? So we we see the wise men showing up here, but we know from Matthew's writing, it wasn't immediately after the birth. Okay, I don't know how many of you set up nativities. We have one in our home and the wise guys are there, right? They're right outside the fence. Uh, You know, I mean, there's a fence. The some For some reason, the shepherds get inside the fence, you know, and and they're animals. But the wise guys are right outside of it. And really, if we were if we were doing this accurately, we would like take them up the stairs and into the guest bedroom, you know, and set them up up there. Right. Because they're still at home. This star has risen, this star is in place, but they're still figuring out what's going on because they're not there right away, right? But I don't want you to feel about, bad about the way you set it up because I'm going to set ours up again the same way this year. The wise men will be in the picture and I think that that's okay. But we hear about these wise men showing up and, and all of a sudden we hear about this King Herod. So we have kind of a timeline here for what's going on. And, and, and Matthew uses this moment to kind of pin down the date here, right? We see Herod the King, a.k.a. Herod the Great. Well, and he's going to play a crucial role in how these events will unfold. A story that we all know, uh, that you know, we've all read before, we've all heard before, and sometimes take for granted. But we want to we wanna look at this story this morning. We see these wise men show up, and they're coming from the east. Right. And and I think it was important for Matthew to point out. And it's also important for us to realize these guys that are showing up are Gentiles. Right. These aren't Jewish people realizing that their savior, their promised Messiah had been born. These are Gentiles, probably not even believers in God, but they see this, they're studiers, they're, they, they, they want to delve into what's going on uh, and, and they, they, they want to find out about this Jesus, uh, they didn't know necessarily. They knew that this one who had been born king of the Jews. And, and so it's worth noting that they wanted to find him and they wanted to worship him. They knew there was something special about him. Again, I would argue they probably didn't know exactly what, but they were 
studiers of the stars, and they knew that something was going on. Now, the chief priests, the scribes, King Herod, are at best indifferent, right? And at worst, violent in their response to the coming Messiah. Although they knew about a coming Messiah, they had read about it in the prophets, the Old Testament, they still knew that it would affect their way of life. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But they were at best indifferent and probably, uh, we'll see here, violent towards this idea of a coming king. A lot has been written on who these wise guys are, right? A lot of speculation because we don't know, right? We don't know who these men were. Uh, and, and so uh, I think we see a lot of times people are speculating this is where they came from or this is the area based on the gifts that they brought. They could have thought this or believed this or been from this area. We don't even know for sure. Ready for your minds to be blown here. We don't know for sure that there were three wise men. Right? I mean, we don't know that for sure. We can assume there was more than one because they're called wise men. Uh, in other words, multiple of them. But we don't know how many there were. But when we think about the gifts that they brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we just assume or it looks good in a picture uh, to have three wise men, one bearing each of the gifts, right? The word magi that was used here uh, is used of dream interpreters, a couple of books ago, before Revelation, we, we studied Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel. And, and in Daniel's time in Babylon, they, their wise men were called magi. They were the dream interpreters. They were uh, the, the smart, studied men of that day and age, right? And that was several centuries earlier. Uh, closer to this time frame, the word has been used to maybe describe those that are interested, like I said, in astrology, dreams, magic, uh, books of mystery, but studying. They want to add to their knowledge all the time. And although we know some magi look for the truth, we see that here, right? Magi that are studying and they want to know even about different religions uh, or different thought processes. Um, and they were studying and, and looking for truth. We also know that some were charlatans uh, and, and con men, right? And they would try to trick people and swindle people. And I don't believe that that is the case here. These men were apparently honest seeking the truth. They understood the Old Testament. They understood stood Jewish prophecy at least to some degree. They were well studied and they had seen a new star appear. And somehow they understood what it was signifying. Their, their question tells you a lot. Where, if you read up there, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They didn't say he who will become the king of the Jews. No, they read the Old Testament and understood whether they believed in God or not. They understood this one that was to come was going to be the Savior, the King of this people. Isn't that incredible to have this kind of intelligence from these men just because of studying, right? This Jesus, this new baby that was born, was born that way. Right, He was born as the king. He wasn't going to become it. He already had the heavenly authority and, and the destiny that came from God himself. And, and it didn't need to be given to him. He had it already. And they acknowledge that in what they say there. With this limited information and understanding that these men had, they, they went on this long journey to meet this baby. 
This is like two years later. These wise guys have been following this star. It's a long trek, but they wanted to worship him. That's what they said. Now, sadly, our King Herod's response is, is quite different. He was troubled, Matthew pens. Troubled, so, so troubled, in fact, that he gathered all the Jewish religious leaders together, the experts in the Old Testament, and he asked, where was the Christ to have been born? He had to do something about this. He wasn't going to let his rule be threatened even by this baby king. Notice that it's obvious that, that Harold, uh, or yeah, that Herod, I should say, not Harold, Harold the Herod, uh, the, the implications of this baby being a king troubled him to the point where he was going to do something drastic. The title Christ here, Christ the Messiah, he would have known of that, but he didn't find hope in that. And unfortunately, that's what we saw through, uh, throughout the Gospels of a lot of the religious leaders of the day. They knew of the hope of a coming Messiah, and yet because it threatened the way that they did religion, the way they did their relationship with God, they rejected it. Herod's response reveals not hope, but his evil heart. Let's get to the next slide here and continue on reading in the story. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Again, what Herod should have already known, what the religious leaders should have already known, the magi, those from the east, quote, here we go, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, or in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, they're quoting the prophet Micah. They know the Old Testament, right? And they say, hey, Micah wrote this, and, and there's, some, there's some words here appended out of 1 Samuel, actually. Uh, but they're talking about this ruler, who shepherds. And we've talked about Jesus being the shepherd who lovingly brings along his sheep. And as, as we wander, he brings us back in because he loves us, right? He's a loving savior. And, and that's the way Micah wrote about him, right? And so here we see this loving shepherd, a welcome change from this maniacal King Herod, right? This man had grown increasingly paranoid because of a diseased mind, right? He, he was starting to become crazy. He had recently murdered his wife, the queen, and two of his sons. And, and of course, Herod was only in power. He was only a lackey of Caesar. Remember, Roman rule, heavy thumb of oppression on God's people. Caesar was the one that was really in control, right? So if there's any sort of rebellion, if there's any sort of new momentum behind this baby king, Herod stands a a great possibility of losing his position, his wealth, his power. He doesn't want to have anything to do with that, right? Why would I want to screw that up? But now he knows where the child is prophesied to be born. Uh, and, and he uses the term Christ. Maybe he's changing his mind. I mean, I've kind of given you a heads up that he's not. But that's where the story kind of leaves you. Maybe he does want to bow to the king. 
but we'll see quickly that that is not the case. Continuing on here in verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and, and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Unfortunately, we know that Herod was evil, and and yet he was clever. He's like, hey, I know these guys probably aren't going to sell this kid out, but if I say, hey, why don't you let me know where you find him so that I can come and worship him, right? Once the the magi find him, maybe they'll share that information with me if I I make it seem that I want to go and worship them too. I need the where, not just the when, right? He needs to get both of those things together. So he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He realized about how old Jesus might be at this time. uh, And now he knows where. He wants to keep a a close eye on these guys, win their trust, so that hopefully they'll share any information that they find out. Because uh, he tells them to go and search diligently for this child. Because I want to worship him. Come back to me with that information. Right? That's what he's trying to portray, even though he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. So they went and behold the star, the star that they had been following. We don't know if it had disappeared while they were there talking to Herod uh, and and the Jewish leaders of the day, uh, or if it was still out there, but they, they thought it was proper to stop in at the king's palace first. We're not really sure, but they started following the star again once they left. Now, there's been, again, speculation on what this star was, right? Some people have said, well, it could have been Halley's Comet. They've done the mathematics, and they've gone back, and Halley's Comet comes by all, you know, every so often. It could have been that. Others say that Jupiter and, and Saturn were appearing so close together, uh, it would make this, like, super weird-looking star. And that's what could have been over uh, Bethlehem. Could have been a, a supernova. Right When a star implodes, it violently explodes, and it gives off this enormous amount of light for just a short period of time. But Matthew simply presents this as a supernatural event, and that's what I like. I have no problem with that. If you don't have a, a problem with a virgin birth, what we're here to celebrate these next few weeks, why would we have a problem with saying the God who created everything, all of nature, couldn't have put this star over him. But whatever it was, right, it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with joy. These magi sound like they were fun people, right? Even though they were smart. Those two things can go together, right? And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And a lot of us, like I said, have read this before. We know this story, right? And we see here that the magi respond in the proper way to this baby king. They bow down. They worship Now, again, like I said earlier, I don't think that they're worshiping Jesus as deity. 
here. I think they know there's something special because they're well-learned and they understood that, but I don't know that they necessarily were worshiping Jesus as God. But they were worshiping nonetheless. They were acknowledging that this baby, this young toddler was special. They bowed down to the king and they opened up their treasures. Now this could be translated opening their treasure boxes, right? And, and it makes me think, you know, here again, we're, we're at Christmas time and some people actually have some gifts already wrapped in under their tree. Probably some of you that are out there even. And, and it's that idea of opening up a treasure or a gift for someone. Opening up the box. It's the same idea here. And, and so what we'll be doing in a couple of weeks is what these magi did for Jesus and his family. Their lavish gifts have been interpreted in several ways over the years. And, and the two that I find probably most interesting are one, gold representing his royalty. Jesus is king, right? He's king right now, and he will rule and reign for eternity. Amen? Right? So he's king, and we have gold. Frankincense for his divinity. And then myrrh foreshadowing the passion and the burial, his death on the cross, and, and the spices that would be used in burying him. That's one way it's been looked. More simply, these gifts were valuable, Right? And they came from the east and they wanted to bring these gifts, valuable gifts, something that meant a lot and was worth a lot to this baby king. And God would providentially meet the needs of this family for the journey that they were going to have here in a a few short days because of what King Herod is going to do. Again, we don't know for sure why, but that's what was brought. Gifts were brought when you would meet the king. And Jesus is the king of kings, and these magi bring these gifts. Verse 12 shows us the divine intervention of God, right? Holy Spirit, working even in these Gentile non-believing people. He gives the three wise men a dream not to return to Herod. As clever and as deceptive as he was, he was sure Right, He was sure that he had fooled these wise men. I want to go worship him. Come back and tell me where he is. Right? Nobody fools God, and and God thwarts Herod's plan. God was in control. We see here a flight to Egypt now. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. So here Joseph gets another dream, right? He has a dream before Jesus was born, when Mary was pregnant, right? This isn't the first time that he has had this kind of thing. But God says, rise and take the child and his mother and flee. This command was urgent. It was go now, even in the middle of the night. Do not wait. About a 75-mile trek to the border of Egypt, Egypt was a natural place for them to to flee. It was close, and it's outside of Herod's jurisdiction. 
It was also home to about a million Jews at this point in history. So they could blend in with the people who were already there, possibly even having some family that might have still been there. We don't know exactly how long they, as a family, stayed in Egypt. And in the reading that we did this week, we saw anywhere from four months to three years. But verse 14 points out that Joseph heard what God had commanded him to do or asked him to do, and he took the child and his mother and left for Egypt right away. Right? And, and this was prophesied before hand. Matthew points that out. Hosea 11 verse 1 says, out of Egypt I called my son. Hosea 11 is all about God's love, right, for the, for the children of Israel, for his people. And through Israel's uh, bloodlines would come a Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the person that completes the definition of Israel, God's people, God's plan. The culmination and fulfillment of all that God knew she could be, Israel, his people. Not simply about a race of people, but it's always been about Jesus and the Savior coming to this world. It's another great example of that fuller meaning of prophecy. When Hosea wrote this, he didn't know exactly what the future would look like for Israel, but he believed God. Holy Spirit empowered him to pen this. And he wrote this, out of Egypt, I have called my son. It is only in the full revelation of Jesus that the Old Testament is completely understood. And man, we saw that when we studied through the book of Daniel. But let's go back to the previous, the previous point in this story. Immediately after Joseph, Mary, and Jesus left for Egypt, we see the wickedness of Herod, the, the, the ending of this passage, this story. Then Herod, right, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This shows the heart of this evil ruler. He became furious when the wise men didn't return. Before we get to that, let's notice that the age was about two years old, right? Again, this is based on the timeline of the wise men who came from the east. It was likely that about that two years earlier, the star had risen, they had studied up on it, and then they had traveled. It took them some time to get there. It was a long journey. This is how we know that the wise men weren't present the night that Jesus was born, right? We talked about that a little bit earlier also. But can you imagine the devastation that this News to Herod, and then ultimately the way he responded to it brought, brought to Bethlehem and really to Israel. All the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under were put to death. Now, estimates, uh, the estimations that we saw this week 
with the size of Bethlehem and, and the population, they're, they're estimating there was probably between 12 and, and 20 toddlers and babies that were put to death. Some early church traditions, and I remember hearing maybe that when I was younger, I had reported much higher numbers, uh, even into the thousands, but that just doesn't really go with the amount of people who lived in Bethlehem. It's a small number. However, it, it's still not consolation to those families who lost their babies. So I'm not trying to minimize it, but I'm trying to give a, a realistic view of something maybe you had heard in the, in the past about the amount of baby boys that were murdered. This king was crazy and would do anything he could to protect his reign, including murdering. Verse 17, Matthew goes into some words spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. It says, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. Jeremiah 31.15 is what's quoted here, bringing yet another prophecy into the story. So for those who are trying to tie the Old Testament to the, the New Testament and vice versa, this is the kind of passage that you love to read. Matthew saying, this is what was prophesied about, right? Rachel is, is used metaphorically for all the women in this region, all the women of Israel weeping for their children. A rejection of the Christ led to this wickedness portrayed by Herod. And rejection of Christ leads to a wicked life. Herod's mass murder of these innocents shows the wickedness of men's heart. They will do whatever they can to protect what they perceive as their own. We have a desperate need inside of each one of us for a savior. Right? And, and Herod was trying to snuff that out. Herod didn't want his way of life to be challenged. And yet each one of us needs that. Finishing out this passage. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who have sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in a place, in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. That he would be called a Nazarene. Again, Joseph gets another dream. He gets spoken to by the Lord. And in this dream, the angel says, it's all clear. Return to Israel. Now, Apparently, Joseph knows the son's reputation, the son of Herod's reputation, and he's like, I'm not going back there, right? We've been gone for a while. It's probably better off that I go and settle someplace else. And this, too, was prophesied in the Old Testament, that he would be called a Nazarene. And that's where Joseph ends up putting down his roots in Nazareth. We know a little bit about Joseph, the stepfather of sorts to Jesus. We know he was a carpenter by trade. We know his lineage. But it seems to me like he was a man of faith. 
each time God asked something of him, he was obedient. And a lot of times we don't talk about Joseph because he's mentioned so rarely. And yet God appeared to him multiple times, asked him to do something, and he did it. One of those people, I mean, there are a lot up there in heaven, but one of those people I hope someday when I get to meet, I'll be able to hear some of the stories of the things that happen. I bet he's got some amazing tales. But Joseph was obedient. King Herod was the anti-example, right? This man was so scared of losing control, he refused to accept Jesus as king. Now, the chief priests and the scribes, the, 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 the religious leaders, well, they didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus either. Right? They showed up, they talked to Herod, and instead of saying, no, this is the one prophesied, they were afraid. Remember, it said Herod was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. They didn't want to give up their power. They liked the control that they had. What's funny is really how little power each one of them had in the long run. Herod was dead within a few years of this time. And really, if you think about even his reign, right? King Herod was just a puppet king because the real power belonged to Caesar. The religious leaders, they held on as long as they could. And as Jesus uh, grew in wisdom and understanding, they refused to listen and see him as the Messiah. They didn't want to lose control of their life either. But how much control do really any of us have of our lives, right? Things are always out of our control. As soon as we feel we've gotten to the place we want to be, that's about the time where things change. And sometimes they change in hard ways. They're dramatic. And yet we have an opportunity to to put our faith in a God who is in total control. It was his plan to send Jesus, who will be and is the king who reigns. And the wise men saw that. At least they saw that this one who was born king of the Jews, Jews, the king of Israel, and they responded in the proper way with worship. And yet even you and I who know that God, uh, once we place our faith in Jesus Christ... We can trust him and the control that he has in our lives. We still try to cling to things, things we don't want to give up yet. For Herod, it was power. For the Jewish uh, religious leaders of the day, they wanted to hold on to their way of life, their view of God. They didn't want to bow a knee to Jesus because they would have had to give up something or the way they look at something. What's holding you and I back? Even those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ already, what are we holding on to that we won't give up control of? This holiday season, this time of celebrating Jesus and who he is, is God calling you to give up something that you haven't released to him yet? We like to think we're in control of something. We've given our lives to Jesus Christ, but maybe we're holding on to something and yet we know we should release it to God. And if that's you this morning, I'm praying that Holy Spirit will continue to work in your heart and you'll get to that place. And for any of you that are here today, maybe that are unbelieving friends or pre-believers, I like to call you, 
If you've never bowed your knee to Jesus, maybe today will be the, do, the day that you will do that. Maybe you've heard about Jesus and how God sent his son to this earth to be the savior of the world for anyone who would place their faith in him and say, I want to exchange my rebellion and my sin for your perfect, righteous holiness. So that when God looks at me, he doesn't see rebellious, sinful Mark, but he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's today, maybe that's you. Maybe that's describing you and you want to bow your knee for the first time to Jesus. I would say do that today. It's as simple as just acknowledging who you are. Sinful, rebellious, not perfect. And that you need a savior, Jesus Christ, to write your relationship with God the Father. And if that's you today and, and, and you're in that place, I'd encourage you to come talk to Pastor Dave or myself or, or, or maybe a family member or a friend that you came with. Don't let today pass without that. Let me pray for, for, for all of you this morning. If you are, are one of my friends who is a believing friend, if there's something that you're refusing to give to God, I pray this morning that you will release that. That you will find freedom actually in giving away the things that you hold on to so tightly, the things that you hold on to that you think you need to be in control of. And that's my prayer this morning for you. Holy Spirit, work in in your children's lives. Help them to identify the things that they need to give up. Relinquish that control to you. And for maybe those of you who haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I just want to pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you will draw them unto yourselves. That even now as we're praying, that they will be placing their faith, their trust in you as their Savior. That this Jesus who was born in a manger grew to be the Savior of the world. And he hung on that cross so that his blood was shed for you and I. Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. We thank you for the blood that was shed on the cross. Holy Spirit, convict our hearts this morning. Help us to be a people, all of us, who respond in faith. Amen.